Hello, my friends. I'm curious to know how many of you have a leadership pipeline. We know that great leaders grow companies because we talk to them here on the show every day. But what are you doing to create great leaders within yours? If you're a CTO, it is 100% your responsibility to grow and improve your people beyond just their coding abilities. We've built a tool that improves your people in their craft and in leadership. Visit leaderbits.io to learn more. Today, we are talking to Nick, the CTO of XO Group, and we discuss the transition from individual contributor to leader, making the most out of the resources that you have, and empowering your people at all levels. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello. It's you. It is, and it's you. You're sure. beautiful. Look at look at that. You. This is the. I love the background, man. It actually makes me look much taller than I actually am. <laughs> I'm off the screen. I'm not <laughs> tall. Oh man, That's Nick, larger than life. Larger than life. That's it. Uh, how's your day going, Nick? Pretty good. Yours? Oh man, life is beautiful. I got a little baby girl. She's just turned 11 months, have her first birthday coming up, and uh, wow. just every morning's amazing. Only kid? First kid? Yep, and we found out, I guess we'll say it for the first time on the podcast, we found out uh, last week we have number two on the way. Wow. Yeah. They're called Irish twins. Yeah. <laughs> Are you Irish? No, I'm not. I'm actually a Greek and American Indian. <laughs> It's very strange. Uh, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a mix. <laughs> yes, I had a traveling family. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations. It's, great, uh, it's a great ride, the kids, and they grow up extremely fast. So keep an eye on it. I will. You have, you have two kids, or how many kids do you have? I have two kids. I have a daughter and a son, 17 and 14, respectively. Uh-oh. <laughs> so it's, it's a challenging time. <laughs> <laughs> they want cars. They want. Well, we live in the city. They're not really. We live in New York City, so they're not really big on cars. They just. Oh. They wanna. They just wanna own the city. That's <laughs> okay, Jay Z. <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh man, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. So, have you always been in technology? Um, yeah, essentially, yes. I, I started out as a computer scientist in very early days when computer science was essentially a split off of the electrical engineering department for practical purposes, right? So, so I, had, I had a degree in computer science, both undergraduate and graduate. Yeah. And then, so when you entered the workforce, what was your first gig? Uh, well, before I entered the workforce, my first gig was actually programming for money, right? Trying to uh, get away from uh, doing other uh, uh, strange uh, money-making chores. So we started programming early on, and, and uh, as soon as we learned to actually do some good coding. But uh, my first official gig was uh, at GTE up in uh, Massachusetts. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, GTE stood for General Electronics, Technology and Electronics. It was a, was supposed to be a competitor of AT&T at the time, uh, prevalent in the Northeast, but has since disappeared. But I worked primarily in R&D type of uh, activities, you know, like uh, projects funded by um, various institutions to explore data communication, which was 
my, my, you know, my graduate work was in data communications, and so naturally I gravitated toward that path, yeah. Then, then from there, I ended up at Bell Labs, which was, you know, similar type of work. Data, again, data communication networking, more applied to the commercial environment, right? The early work was more exploratory work. Yeah, so I spent 10 years doing that. Wow. So it's a long time. <laughs> but you learned a lot and you, you were writing code, working with communications, just getting all of your individual contributor experience in. Yeah, you know, primarily uh, protocols, right? Communication protocols, right? Uh, the early days of the TCP/IP and other related protocols to facilitate the data communication evolution, right? People call it the internet at the time. It was everything from local area networks to wide area networks and trying to do an end-to-end -end, um, and transmission mechanism, right? So all the protocols that you know, from the ground up, uh, controlled that kind of. Uh, data exchanges. Did you end up with any like crazy patents? Uh, well, I did some work uh, with uh, at the organization for the standardization of some of these things. So I wrote some stuff there for some of the pro some protocols, right? They were published at some time that may be not relevant anymore because they employed technologies that no longer exist, you know, like data, you know, packet data networks, which people wouldn't even know what they are nowadays, but you know. <laughs> The stuff that the telecom companies used to do to get into data communication. <laughs> they just automate a robot to pull out the wires and plug it in the switchboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, okay. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> yes. So what was your first opportunity where you got to transition from doing the actual technical work to leading a team? Uh, well, I was hired in, uh, I was hired away from uh, Bell Labs in uh, the early 90s, essentially 91, uh, from uh, a large company uh, that uh, still exists. It's called Young and Rubicam. It's an it's a advertising, marketing communications company. And uh, it was interesting because they, they, they hired me. They, for some reason, the CIO there was enamored with the idea of getting somebody from academia like myself to work on data communication with uh, the idea of, uh, of interconnecting all of their offices worldwide, right? And now this is very early year, years, right? There wasn't a lot of availability of data communication services in any of, you know, there were some, but not that extensive. So I started building a team there. Essentially, I became the central team this, that, that was going to provide uh, from the ground up the interconnectivity of all these offices. And I'm talking about 150 offices in 70, 80 countries, right? Uh, with uh, basic uh, basic uh, uh, services to move data around. So I'm, we're talking about email, essentially, and file transfers, right? The very simple things to be able to. Now they wanted that, of course, because these were com this is a company that used to service these large clients. I'm, I'm making it up, but like a Ford or a, a Coca-Cola or somebody like that. So they did work out of 30 or 40 countries, right? And then therefore, they wanted the ability to move information around a little bit faster than just shipping it uh, overnight, uh, which at the time wasn't really overnight, uh, or trying to fax it, right? And so, and so we started there and we started employing some really, the new technologies that were coming out at the time to weave together all these offices around the world and to, uh, to try to, 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 to be able to move stuff on very, very low bandwidth lines, you know, 9.6 kilobytes, 19.256 T1s, and things like that. 
And so, and that's what it, that's how I started building a team and it started with three, five people, became 20 people, it became people that were spread around the world. And then from there, I went to the next company that was even larger, I had even more offices, I had even more, and then I climbed up the, the, the ladder from just doing the communications and the, and the, the standard, the data movement or information movement services to the actual application, application development, strategic application development, and so, I, I started thinking, and then I became the CIO of this larger company called McCann Ericsson World Group, and then IPG, which was even larger than McCann, and then, and then I went off and did a startup for a while, and then, uh, and then I ended up at Exxon. That, I, love, I love the journey. You're, you're like, I feel like I'm interviewing someone who's climbed Everest, and they're telling me how they did it. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I'm curious to know, Nick, people ask me, all the time when I talk to these great leaders like yourself about transitioning. So you'll come on the show, people will hear this say, oh wow, you, you started out, you're writing code, you were working on telecom, and then you ended up putting in a lot of great work as an individual contributor, mastering your craft, and then all of a sudden you started, you had this progression, you went up, and then you went up, and then you went up. And so what is going on in your mind? Like, what, what do you attribute that to? What are you looking for? What gets you to that next level? Well, usually uh, what gets you to the next level is the ability to deliver, right? And to deliver, you know, in a, in a timely fashion, right? And to, uh, and to really try to as much as possible. I know it's, it sounds like an impossibility, but you have to make the, 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 your constituency happy, right? I, the, the, my climb towards starting leading people and then expanding the team was 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 an, an orthodox because I was hired by the the CIO and in the transition between when he hired me and when I actually joined, which six months went by, right? His whole organization had been disassembled and distributed at the individual company level. So I ended up becoming a single person of a, of a, of a, doing becoming the central single person. But because I, I started taking on projects that I could handle myself with the help of third parties, with the delivery from third parties. I started delivering a functionality that uh, at the time was, uh, was, uh, was, first of all, it introduced something new, but honestly, at the very beginning, I went for stuff that really delivered that value and economic value. So I started delivering basic interconnectivity across the most uh, important offices of that company, the two or three that allowed me to pull out an enormous amount of costs. So that, you know, what I was taking out was five times the cost of what I was putting in. And what I was putting in was moving a lot more information than what I was, what I was taking out. So that got the attention of, of people much higher up than, the, than my CEO, CIO because he's got the attention of the people that actually go to checks. And they said, well, this sounds interesting. So let's talk to these guys, see what else he can do. And so I started getting that exposure. And then, of course, as I, you know, I started snowballing, right? Because you deliver something and they say, well, this is good. Can we do more of these? Can we do it wider? Can we go to other offices? Can we go? Do you need more people? Do you need more people in New York? Do you need more people in London? Well, let's do that. And then that's how, you know, then you say, what, what else would you like to do, right? And then I said, well, I'd like to actually tackle business systems. Oh, okay, what, where would we want to do it, right? And we said, well, let's do it in the flagship office. Let's see if it works out and then we expand, right? So not, never take on more than you can actually chew reasonably. And then whatever you can chew, chew it and, and swallow it and then move on to the next piece, right? 
Right. Uh, that, that has been my, my experience. So, um, and also, I think ultimately to, to, to really be able to grow teams is that you have to be, you know, you have to be followed. I always tell my people is that it's not good to be a lead. You can't just lead by demanding what you need. People have to follow you in battle. <laughs> so you have to, they have to perceive that what you're doing for them, what you're asking them to do, there is a, there is a, there is a value to it. There is a, a motive that uh, there is worth their while so that when you actually move forward, that they're actually behind you. I like what you said because you identified the value, right? The thing that would be most valuable. And then you made it into something manageable to deliver the value. Then the other people noticed. And then what the other people did was they found someone who was resourceful and then they gave them more resources. And that's how it always goes. So whenever I see people say, oh, we don't have enough resources, so, you know, be more resourceful with what you have and the people will notice and they will come and give you resources. I agree completely with, with the way you summarize. I completely, that's exactly right. I, you know, I, we have, I have many debates even today. I have a large organization, but there's always sometimes a, 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 a tendency for people to say, well, I can't do that unless you give me, you know, a Y and Z. And you say, well, but you have already A and B. Why don't you start with A and B and let's see what we can you know, it's easier to make an argument if you are starting to make progress to actually add to that than to start by saying, if I don't get these before I start, I can't even start, right? So I never, I, I don't approach anything that way. People always say, uh, how do you actually decide how to get to, uh, you know, how you're going to deliver that? And I always say that, and I truly believe this, that, uh, you know, in general, I the first assessment that's make is where, I, where am I going? Am I going to, uh, from A to B? Great. Where is B? Is B East? I start gradually moving East. I don't spend an inordinate amount of, mind, of time plotting the perfect trajectory to get from A to B. Okay, what I do is I start moving in the general direction that I know B is at. And then I course correct all along the path and try to course correct as soon as I have more information to course correct. But I don't stand there waiting to make sure that I have exactly the straight line. That's, I, I use that in everything that I do. That's unbelievable advice because often as, you know, I have an engineering background, so I usually go to planning. But then when I got into the business side of things and I started having to deliver value, and accomplish bigger things, that immediate action is the, the thing that gets you forward because every single time you take the action, like you said, you get more information to work with. You learn more about your constraints and then you can leverage your constraints to correct your course and then those breed creativity in order for you to have, um, you know, find clever ways of solving the problem. And, and as, you, as you make progress, people, the, the people around you that can help you with more resources identify, and it's easier to make an argument that a little bit more investment here will allow us to speed up when you're actually already demonstrating something than trying to do it from an hypothetical situation. You mentioned that an important part of leadership is your ability to get people to follow you. In your history, what have you noticed is a, is a way that you get the people to follow you? Well, first of all, I share as much as I can about what I know and what, is, uh, what I can legally share. So I try to get everybody engaged in feeling like they're part of the, of the resolution, of the, of, uh, they're part of the process of getting to a, to a decision. 
And uh, second of all, I would say that I like to I like to empower people in general at all levels. So I like to push down the decision-making as much as possible within the constraints of what I believe the person could be making a decision on, right? And <laughs> allow them to make that decision, right? Uh, uh, so that, you know, they, 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 they get a sense of, uh, of uh, you know, they have, have thought about it and they decided that that's the thing to do. And then they'd be, you know, they, when they do that, they also know that they, they, they have to defend it. They have to know how to defend it. You know, and then that I think makes people increasingly more comfortable, right? So we are organized. We are we are at Excel, a relatively flat organization uh, for the size that we are. So we try to push them down a lot of the decision at the squad level. And the squad really is like six, five, six people. So you have the leadership of that squad making some decisions for themselves that they can defend. They become accustomed to it. They are, they, are, they are respectful of working with their peers. That allows them over time to either decide to move on or to aspire at the next level and have even potentially lead multiple squads. Or they decide that, yes, they like, they like leading the technical part of it, but they really want to stay on the technical side. And we give them a path to try to grow uh, and, uh, you know, the principal engineering type of, uh, of uh, path or a or a, an architect type of path if they have that kind of an aptitude, right? So that we don't constrain them to have to be people leaders from a, a human relations perspective, right? We give, put them in leadership from a technical perspective and then we give them the opportunity to grow in either, on either side and we push down the decision-making so that they feel increasingly more, uh, you know, the right aptitude to make the decision. And to, and to then if you do that, the people respect that you're doing the right thing, that there will be errors along the way and there will be people, people be dissatisfied along the way all the time. But by and large, the majority of the people know that you, you're, you're not hiding anything, that, that everything is in the clear, that they're part of the process of the decision and that they're part of the process of moving in the direction of the right one. I, I love it. I like, Nick, you got a fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, and, and you guys, uh, XO Group, it looks like you've acquired a couple companies as well, right? Yes, yes. We made a few acquisitions. We, we acquired Gigmasters a few years back, I think in 2015, uh, which is essentially a marketplace uh, to, uh, to, to hire talent uh, you know, for, uh, for events, to, to celebrate a variety of events, right? So you can hire as much as you can hire bands for your birthday party as uh, maybe your uh, daughter daughter's uh, next month years old yeah. you need a, well you need a balloon you need a balloon <laughs> balloonist call up you need a clown gig master can get you a clown you need a clown with in leather hosen they'll get you a clown in leather <laughs> whatever whatever you want that's amazing. Geekmasters is the place for you. So we are, we both, like, we, we acquired the Geek Masters. It's really a, an excellent uh, uh, member of our uh, family. And uh, we also acquired uh, uh, two bright lights and we also acquired uh, how we asked other brands uh, to complement our, our, but our, you know, our, our flagship product, you know, is the knot. I hope you use it when you get married. You know, I did. If you look me up, uh, I did definitely use the knot. <laughs> okay, I'm going to look you up. Sorry. You should, yeah. I should have looked you up. I should have looked you up before. Okay. So how long have you been at XO Group? Uh, just over 10 years, actually. I joined the XO Group in February of 2008. Yeah. And uh, the XO Group at the time was called the knot. The, 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 the official name of the company was the knot. It was, it was founded that way. And uh, we became EXO Group a few years after when we decided to take on a corporate name because of, you know, we, 
had introduced at the time over the course of the years, the Nest and the Pump, and we also had Wedding Channel. So we had a number of probably seemed like using just the, the name, the knot was too restrictive. We needed something that was all encompassing. And as we were moving from NASDAQ to New York Stock Exchange, somebody cleverly realized that the XOXO four letters were not taken yet. And so we grabbed for them and we became EXO Group. <laughs> and uh, so that's what happened. So now we are EXO Group and we're the parent company of the NOT and the NAST and the BUMP and Geek Masters. And now we asked them and, uh, and, and two bright lights. And Wedding Channel is no longer with us. But. And then, so you have lots of engineering, you have lots of people. How yeah. many people in technology across the whole organization? We have, I would say, about 300. 30 to 350 uh, people. Uh, I'm not sure I would call 100% of them technology, but 90% of them technology. We have a, a few people that are really dedicated to our data cleansing process, data augmentation, right? That do a lot of the tagging of data, the, uh, the cleansing of the, of the information about, you know, the, the, the you know, the, well, whatever, the local data cleaning, whatever data we're dealing it's with. a lot data, of work. You know <laughs> It's a, yeah, I know the story. It, it's a lot of work and yeah. you're always scratching your head making yeah. sure it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And it has to make sense to allow everything else to make sense. So we are, we are as an organization, we are essentially almost 50-50 split between United States and China. Oh, really? And, uh, and in United States, we're almost 50-50 split between New York and Austin, Texas. That's Very really cool. with that. Well, so our technology organization is split across those three, you know, uh, there's a, a city in China called Guangzhou, yeah. which is just a, a little, a couple hours from Hong Kong, mm -hmm. New York City, and uh, and uh, and Austin, Texas. Yeah, that's that's our organization. Yeah, my sister just came back, just moved back from China. She was living in Shenzhen for five years. Guangzhou is very close to Shenzhen. Yeah, just another half hour. Very very cool area. Very interesting language. Um, I just was completely yeah. fascinated when she was explaining it. So what, what are you right now most excited about every day, getting up and going to work? What's, what's the thing that's coming that you're really pumped about uh, that you can talk about? That I can talk, well, I mean, uh, the biggest thing for us is our expansions of our marketplace, right? Uh, we are, you know, that we have become a market. We went from being a media company to a marketplace, you know, a very a significant transformation because, uh, what, uh, what keeps us uh, going every day is the excitement of, of uh, increasingly making the tools that we are delivering to our couples and to our vendors the best tools possible to allow them to execute this very complicated uh, uh, event called the wedding, right? Very complicated and very expensive for, many, for most people. And so we are obsessed with delivering the, the, the perfect tools that really makes the, the process as simple as possible, as, 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 as uniform as possible, both for the bride and the groom, and to, to, to a great extent also for the vendor so they can present themselves and their services in the right way to the right couples or the right event, right? We, we're trying to increasingly make the process simpler, be as intelligent as possible, know a lot about what they really want, know a lot about what our vendors offer. When I say vendors, I'm talking about the venue, the photographer, the cake maker, and the florist, et cetera, et cetera, which there are tens of hundreds of thousands in reality, right? 
And so we have a huge opportunity on the upside because as of today, we, we are obviously the largest provider of the services, but we really only have about 30,000 paying clients, 30,000, 30, so there is an opportunity for 300,000 of them in our ecosystem now, and there is an even bigger opportunity that will extend it to four or 500,000. So, so for us, for us the, the excitement is in continuing to build the marketplace or continuing to make sure that all the data about all these vendors is accurate so that when we actually try to match the, the couple in the planning process to the vendor, we're delivering the right people, the right opportunity the right budget, the right style, in the right location, with the right number of resources, everything. That, so we, we, we capture a lot of information that they give us voluntarily. We help them define their style through our inspiration and our content and our, you know, our cloud and our know-how. And we, we, we employ a lot of uh, uh, techniques at the back end. We have a dedicated data science team only focused in actually personalizing our delivery and trying to make the perfect recommendation. So we're continuously improving our algorithms and feeding it with data that both they give us and event data that we capture as a result of observing them navigating our site and looking and liking and disliking so that we can we progressively, you know, uh, be, uh, you know, uh, more refined in what we actually provide to them. And that's all to help them execute. Ultimately, we want them to communicate with the vendor, to book, uh, the event and to move on to the next thing and try to fill in all of the activities that need to take place over that weekend or that day. Or When I was about 16, and I'm in my early 30s now, so this was a while ago, I was looking to make some money online and I had a strong history. I started programming at eight, so I had a really strong skill set in engineering because my father was an engineer and he taught me. So... I started scanning this website that was people listing their digital businesses for sale that were just uninterested in them anymore. It was costing too much work. I found this girl and she had divorcepapers.com and she put in there that she was selling it because she had grown it to like 30, 45 people and they were all like at home moms working remotely. And this was, you know, 20 years ago and they would just get the request from a form, submit a payment and then they would just manually type in the divorce papers for them. And they were just different based on each state. So they would literally just copy it from one form, put it in the other. And so I found her and she had, you know, I think it was like $75,000 a month in cash flow. And uh, I said, I will build, I will write a program. And we went state by state and I automated it out. To auto populate. In the, the, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. That's so cool. now she got, she kept her business. And it, and we, she ended up keeping like two or three people of the 45 on. And then she had a business that she could now maintain because she was going crazy with the logistics of just managing the people. Yes. And that was one of my, um, my, that's just what I was doing because I wanted to, I don't know, I just seek out opportunity and execute. Right. It's just yes. a naturally a driven person. So it's, it's, it's always fulfilling to solve a problem, no matter yeah. what problem it is. When it's a problem and you actually say, well, I think I have a solution for that, and actually do it, and it's really very rewarding. We feel the same way here. That's we, Every day we're trying to solve a problem that we think that couples are. They, 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 the couple is at the center of everything that we do, right? We're trying to provide the right experience for them, so we're obsessed by that. 
to say what, what, what makes it right. But we're not discounting the fact that ultimately the paying vendors are the ones that need to be presented. But we think we're doing a, a service to them also if we're actually delivering the right couples to them. There's no point for us to deliver to them a couple that either can afford them or is not the right style for them or is just wasting on everybody's time. So our goal is to, is to make the planning process easy but also accurate, right? So we are delivering it. So we're doing it both for the vendors to make sure that they really are connecting to the people that are right for their services, whatever their services are. And that the, 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 the couples can actually put something behind them, say, okay, I did this, I'm moving on to the next thing, and, and we're guiding them through the process all the time. And, it, and it's beneficial for you know, us, the couples, because from our perspective, you know, we wanna find the services as quickly as possible that match our needs, given our budgets, given our lifestyles right. and everything. So if you're making it easier for the couples to engage the services in order to you know, get married and go through the whole process, then you're providing benefits to everybody involved. And then that's just how you become the XO group. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so quick uh, leadership engineering technology question that came in from an individual I was speaking to yesterday. He wanted me to ask the, the next great technology leader I spoke to, which is you, uh, any tips or advice when hiring uh, new people onto your engineering team? Like, what do you look for when you're bringing new people on? That's a good question. First of all, you know that it's extremely challenging to find people, right? <laughs> particularly in the markets that I'm in, which, is, which are hotbeds a little bit for technologists. In general, we like people that, um, we, we, we've been, uh, I would say that we are uh, hiring people at all levels, right? We, uh, we used to prefer to hire people that already had a number of years of experience and we tend to predominantly go after people that have already have a number of years experience, but we have increasingly uh, started hiring uh, and filling our pipe also with uh, we call, we call associates engineers, people that, uh, that usually tend to spend one or two internships with us and they show a promise and uh, a skill and ability to work in the, in the teams in an agile type of environment. Uh, that you know, we're very, we're we're almost very rigorous about our environment, right? We're very uh, small squads that have a degree of ownership. We do a lot of pair programming. Everything is TDD, continuous deployments. We we would like everybody to really uh, have that kind of skill set. We don't do as much as okay, there's a front end here, there's a back end. We like a lot of our people to be full stack type of engineers. Uh, as much as possible. We've also hired, I must say, from uh, from the, um, the boot camps, right? Uh, you know, I, I like in general to have people with with uh, with CS type of background because I think it, it's easier for them to actually work on more, uh, you know, to expand and complicated. But we have given opportunities for people boot camp, and we've had some very good uh, outcomes from some of them. Uh, uh, but as you get to uh, if, you, if you're looking at engineers that are really do understand the, the full stack and do understand a lot of the backhand in addition to the front end, usually people that have a, a, a technical background tend to have a, a, a little bit an easier time, right? You know, uh, grasping some of the, of the underpinnings of the, of the... But 
again, we are uh, we are we we provide an environment, an onboarding environment at all levels. People come in, we put them in the squad, we give them all the tools. People pair with them, people mentor them. You know, we are, we are, we usually assign somebody. But the process of interviewing is relatively extensive, right? We do. We do send people through multiple interview processes and do uh, solve some problems, pair program with one or two of our lead engineers, depending on the level, right? We are not gonna stress out an associate about it, but we're gonna stress out the senior engineer if they consider themselves a senior engineer. Yeah, let's do it. Challenge time. <laughs> and so that's, a, I don't know if I answered your question, so if I'm off the mark, correct? Yeah, just give me like one or two things, qualities in humans that you're looking for when you pull people onto your team. Quality in humans, I am interested in people that are, uh, that are respectful, but have, are, have an opinion, that are willing to debate. These are part of our core values. We expect everybody to debate, it, to ask the questions, why am I doing this? to challenge when, when, when challenges weren't, but also to at some point agree or disagree but commit. Or if you cannot disagree and commit because it is, uh, you're so vehemently against the idea, then you have to escalate. But I want people to try to resolve as much as possible within their teams. And therefore, the, while, while I will not tolerate is a, a lack of respect for your peers, with, you know, for your colleagues in general, whether they are downstream for you or upstream from you, that I will not tolerate in, in the environment. Uh, the, the people have to be respectful at all levels and, and, and feel entitled to an opinion about the product, about the evolution of the product, and, uh, and then they have, they have the option to actually disagree. And, uh, and, uh, and even honestly, I'll go as far as saying is that people, if really people cannot work in a particular team because they really do not believe in that, they are perfectly entitled to go up to their management to come up to me and say, I want to change squad because I, I don't feel an affinity to, to this particular product. I feel an affinity to the other product. Great, let's talk about how you move to that other team. Yeah. As long as there is always that open you know, uh, communication and that, uh, that the, 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 the positive intent, right? Positive intent. Right and that you're able to be a great leader and, and fish out what they're driving, what's driving them and then make sure that they're, you know, placed accordingly. We do a lot to make sure that people, uh, you know, because people have different personalities, some people are shy and this and that. So we do a lot of things to try to bring people out of their shell if they are people who tend to be in their shells. You know, some engineers, Tend to be not you, but some people tend to be a little bit <laughs> I in their shells. <laughs> so we get them, out. we get them out. You know, we do meetups, we do hackathons, we do Tech Tuesdays, we do all kinds of things for people to go up there and talk about what they're doing and why they're doing it that way and debate it a little bit. And some groups are small, some groups are bigger. So people get increasingly more comfortable, right? As long as, long as it's done constructively and respectfully, everybody benefits from it because there's always something you can learn. I've got two more questions for you. Is that all right? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, if you were to take your day and split it into a pie chart into three different pieces, what are the three biggest pieces how you spend your day? I would say product for sure, the product engineering part, the organization itself, the continuous evolution and fine tuning of the organization. And a third of my time is always dedicated to the business systems because what we didn't say here is that we are a publicly listed company. So from that perspective, we have all the challenges of the large corporations, but we're a small company, 
right? So I, what I mean challenges, I mean just the complexity of the underlying systems for accounting, for revenue recognitions, and for all those things that, that, that are necessary to close your books every month and to do it accurately so that you don't get into trouble. So I would say, uh, in general, when I talk about organization, is a large, a large part of my organizational time is dedicated to the engineering organization, to the continuous evolution of, of, of that organization in the delivery of the products. Right, so we're always looking at making sure that the right, the squads are resourced right, that we're attracting the right talent, that we're moving people to, uh, to re-energize them so that they don't get they'll feel stale and actually leave us. So we do everything fast. So a lot of, a lot of my time is dedicated to that. Uh, I would probably say that I spend 65% of my time collectively on the, on, the, on the product, on the engineering and the product, and about 30 to 35% on the business systems, on the, what you would consider IT, or what people would call IT, right? Excellent. And then if, who's your favorite leader like, that you learned from? I feel like I, I've learned from uh, I've I, I learned something from uh, from everybody I I, uh, I work yeah. with. Uh, so it's difficult to to pick one. I um, if uh, I would say I like my current leader. I like uh, I like how he, uh, the passion that he puts into uh, into driving the business forward. So I, I I work well with him. We have a similar type of uh, band, right? We're very driven. We're very focused. We're very passionate about what we do. So that, and I usually, I've always gravitated toward working for people that had a great degree of passion. Uh, you, you're trying to to make me uh, name like a, a person, like a famous person. You mean? Yeah, like Is did you? Like a, yeah, like. A, well, I like, you know, I, I do like as much the persona, but I certainly uh, like a lot of the, of, the, of the principles of Steve Jobs. I mean, yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things I didn't like about the person, yeah. but about some of the principles of how to approach uh, the passion that, that, he, uh, that he displayed in, uh, in, uh, in going after a, a dream that he believed in. Right? And, uh, and uh, taking no prisoners along the way, meaning making the decisions. And sometimes um, making the decisions uh, almost uh, you know, autocratically, meaning uh, I know this is what, what, what is needed rather than saying, let's, you know, let's uh, test and let's uh, take the pulse and let's see how people feel about uh, whether this is better than that. Right? that, that uh, to some extent, I think you need a little bit of that uh, when you're trying to break a barrier, you, know, you need a little bit of uh, the, certainly the passion, but also the the, um, the conviction that uh, that what you believe, you know, is uh, it's something that is that is necessary and actually prove it. You know, of course, you don't try to do anything that hurts anybody else in the process. Right. You have a, if you're the master of something that you can introduce and you can put your resources behind it. I, I, I welcome people that are always pushing the envelope, right? Because, uh, you know, otherwise, otherwise things are too incremental. And there is an, a need for incremental things to, to take place in life, right? And to occur well, in life, balance, for evolution. Right. But there, every once in a while, you need somebody that, that, is, that is looking at it from outside. Like you say, no, I really want to do something different. And I think, I think, I, I think people will actually come to this. So that, from that perspective, I thought he was... Uh, he was a, a visionary that some of the things that he did, I, I really resonated. 
No, I very much enjoy so much of his work. I've got a piece of it, you know, here right now. So, yeah, <laughs> so do I. You get to watch it. I have it in my ears, matter of yeah. fact. <laughs> yeah, you have it in your ears, on your arm, right? So, my arm. Yeah. If you were able to go back and talk to yourself at Bell Labs, right? You go back in a time machine, talk to yourself at Bell Labs. What's the one piece of advice that you would give your previous self? One piece of advice. Um... Why Bell Labs? Why, I guess I have to ask, why are you asking me specifically about that time of my life? Uh, because you mentioned I was listening to you and you had about, I think you said you had about 10 years of experience. You were a little bit into your career by the time you were at Bell yes. Labs, right? Yes. And because, you know, I would say a large portion of our audience is, is into their career and yes. they would benefit from the advice you would give your younger self, you know, a decade into your career. Well, okay, so my answer to you and I, to the honest answer is I would have been a little bit more thoughtful about my, um, my career aspiration rather than just, uh, you know, you know, I like it. Well, sometimes you feel when, when you're young, you know, and I was relatively young at the time, because I like yourself, I started very young, right? Mm -hmm. uh, was that, uh, you know, I always assumed I could do anything. So it didn't matter, right? So I didn't. Plot. My, the natural path for me, based on the work that I was doing, the stuff that I had published, the things that I had built, would have been for me to go from Bell Labs to, uh, to Silicon Valley. Uh, I remember what the founder of Cisco at the time, one of the founders, the technical founder, wrote one of the protocols that I had written, right, and tested it out and called me up and so said, hey, cool. I think this is an interesting thing. Should we do something here? So I could have gone there, right? And or I could have, you know, that. I'm talking about Cisco, Wellfleet was the other router because at the time I was doing a lot of the protocols for routing, right? Routing protocols. And so if I had been more, you know, um, dogmatic about, uh, you know, what, what should my career path be and given what I've done, my natural next step should have been that, right? And maybe my life would have evolved differently and maybe I would be a wealthier or more wealthier, who knows, right? But at the time I just followed what, you know, what was a little bit more short, like seemed like this person was interested. It was the opportunity of doing something that I had never done before, which was something for, to, to really watch how, it, how the people reacted to it rather than something in a lab. And so I chose to go there instead. I don't know, but I, you know, I, I don't know that I don't know that I regret it, but I'm no. saying I probably, you know, you could, you could say be a little bit more, you know. Yeah, you, you made a decision, you made it work, right? You, yeah. you got north, you took a step north, you corrected, and you figured, and you've come out. Exactly you're, look right. at you, man! You're like a senior leader at one of the greatest technology companies on this planet. Come on now. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, and you did it all, and you're like that's stylish, slightly with, hyperbolic, but that's very nice. Of it's it, I will make it as hyper hyperbolic as I possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Nick. We did it. We made thank a you. podcast. You brought. Did we? I've never a, done one before. Really? This is nice. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's you know, we got a lot of technologists, and they listen in, and then they take your advice, and it's just it's so valuable to them. And I got a lot of great questions. You gave some amazing advice, very original advice, and I just appreciate your time. And the next time I'm in New York, I'm gonna stop by and shake your hand, say hello. That would be great. I'd love yeah. to, uh, to, to see you. Come yeah. and see our premises. Yes. You like them. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you again, Nick. Hey, thanks a lot. Good talking to you. See ya. Bye.